Good morning, everybody. Welcome to another edition of Wisdom Awakening. I'm your host, Bishop E.W. Jackson. I think I'm going to have a little bit shorter program today because I'm busy with this. The Stand Awards dinner, we are down to, what's today, Thursday? We're down to 12 days. What, did I say 12 days yesterday? 13 days yesterday. 12 days today to the, to the dinner. We still have some complimentary tickets available. Claim two complimentary tickets per person at awards dinner at standamerica.us. Awards dinner at standamerica.us. If you got young people who want to come, we'll provide some additional tickets for them. You just have to indicate who they are and how many you want to bring uh, until we run out. And we are going to run out, but right now we still have some left. So I advise you take advantage of it. We'd love to see you there. Love to have a chance to meet you there. Uh, folks, I'll tell you. We really need to pray for our country like never before because um, the level of hysteria that the left is whipping up over the likely overturning of Roe versus Wade is disturbing. It really is. It's disturbing. Look, I didn't like Roe v. Wade. It was bad law. I think I mentioned yesterday, I studied Roe v. Wade in college before I went to law school. Studied Roe v. Wade in college and came to the conclusion that it just it was just made up. They just made up law. And at that point, I wasn't even what I would call pro-life. I'm serious about that. I wasn't any kind of pro-life activist. I just read the decision, analyzed it based upon the, the, the state of constitutional law, and what the Constitution actually says, and realized they just made up stuff. It had nothing to do with any kind of, of statutory or certainly constitutional principles or any kind of statutory law, because the Constitution transcends statutes. But there was no constitutional principle involved. They just made up something. They wanted it for society. Five judges wanted this to be the law, and they just made it up made up the trimester system and all that. I mean, just, just made it up. Once I became pro-life, which didn't happen for several more years, I really then came to despise the decision. But I didn't want to burn my country down over it. I wanted to persuade more people that it was wrong, persuade more people that abortion is wrong, persuade more women when my wife and I, we give to, to, to um, uh, organizations that help provide ultrasounds to women so that they can see their baby and, and identify with that baby, that it's not a blob, that it's not some amorphous nothing. It's not a quote-unquote fetus. It's a child at an early stage of development is what it is. So my wife and I contribute to, to doing that We've been pro-life activists for decades now. But we don't want to burn the country down over it. We want to persuade our fellow citizens that it's wrong. And we look forward to the day when we would have a court that would recognize that Roe v. Wade was bad law from the beginning and overturn it. You know, here again, this comes from a Judeo-Christian sensibility, which is, you don't combat evil with evil. 
you believe that something is evil. It's like I was opposed to bombing uh, these clinics and, and, and assassinating abortionists and all this kind of crazy stuff that some fanatics got into. I never supported anything like that, uh, ever, ever, because I know that, that Jesus said who li- those who live by the sword die by the sword. You reap what you sow. You can't end the violence against unborn children with more violence. That's just not the way it works. Because you can't change people's hearts and minds that way. You know, a man convinced is of, against his will is of the same opinion still. But, you know, because of my Judeo-Christian worldview, I approach things in a way that wants to help our society to stabilize uh, as a as a as a as a cohesive culture of people who can understand each other, relate to one another, and get along even when we disagree. Now, the left has rejected that completely. They've rejected Judeo-Christian worldview, which means that there is no right or wrong for them. What's right for them is what they say, and what's wrong for them is what they say. There's no higher authority to which they answer or to whom, or to whom they're accountable. They've rejected God, and so whatever they say goes. So when the Supreme Court finally, logically, it appears, has said Roe v. Wade was bad law and it was bad constitutional analysis because there is no right to abortion in the Constitution of the United States. So the people, they're not saying abortion is outlawed. They're not saying abortion is illegal. They're not saying abortion can't take place. And they don't have the authority to do that. And I could not support them trying to exercise that kind of authority because they're not philosopher kings. They are judges who are supposed to interpret what the law says, what the law means based upon the founder's intent, the, the framers of the Constitution's intent, and, and the, the, uh, the legislators who passed legislation, what their intent is, what the language actually says, what it was intended to accomplish. That's the role of judges. Not making public policy, not changing the culture. So when five judges reasonably say Roe v. Wade was bad law, there is no constitutional right to an abortion that was made up. It can now go back to the states for people to debate it, talk about it. State legislators can determine how they're going to respond to it based upon the will of the people in that particular state. No problem, right? You live in a state where the majority of the people believe in abortion. The legislature represents those people. They can go to their state house and they can craft laws that reflect the opinions of those people. Now, those laws facilitating abortion, I believe, are morally wrong. But they have the legal, if not the moral, authority to do it. So abortion is not outlawed. But you got these people acting like the Supreme Court has come down and said, there will be no abortions in America henceforth forevermore. Because they're responding hysterically to this. 
And what they're doing is, in, in a sense, they are justifying a mindset of violence, that this decision is so cataclysmic that, it, that it's going to end, uh, they're going to ban interracial marriage. Well, exactly how would you do that? On what basis would you do that? I mean, it's just silliness. They haven't banned abortion. But now suddenly we're going to ban it. I mean, the, the hysteria is just, it's beyond the pale, folks. It really is. It's beyond the pale. By the way, when Obergefell is overturned, and it will be, because it ought to be, because it's another case of bad law. There's no constitutional right for two men to get married. There's no constitutional right for two women to marry each other, for two men to marry each other, because that's a violation of the very definition of marriage. There's no constitutional right to, to do that. In fact, the only sense in which there is a constitutional right for a man and a woman to marry is in the sense that if you allow this man and this woman to marry, you can't tell this man and this woman not to marry. But since marriage is by definition a union between a man and a woman sanctioned by the state and the church or the synagogue, any man and woman can get married. And the state can't pass laws saying, well, this man and this woman can't get married because this man's Hispanic and this man's Asian, uh, this woman's Asian. Or because this woman is, is African and, uh, or of African ancestry and this man is of European ancestry. You can't do that. On what basis would there be such a thing? I know you say, well, the laws of segregation did it before, but they, but they segregated everything. And that was wrong too. But they had no, certainly no moral basis for doing so. And they certainly had no legal basis for doing so under the Constitution of the United States. That's why it was struck down. Now, by the way, overturning Obergefell would not ban same-sex unions. It would say that henceforth, you can't discriminate against Christians and others who won't participate in some kind of same-sex union because somehow they're violating your constitutional rights. No, they are not. They're exercising their First Amendment rights, which is explicitly set forth in the Constitution. There is nothing in the Constitution about the right of few people of the same gender to marry. Now, look, so let, let, let me add one other thing, and then I'm gonna, I want to get into the word here. Stacey Abrams, for those of you watching me from Georgia right now, Stacey Abrams must be stopped at all political, constitutional, appropriate cost. And, that, I'm sorry, and I add that because here again, I am never, ever, ever talking about violence. So let me make that clear to anybody watching me now. If you go out and you try to hurt somebody, I don't care how much I disagree with that person, you got to try to hurt somebody, don't ever say, well, Bishop Jackson said, no, Bishop Jackson didn't. 
because I am categorically, unequivocally opposed to using violence to resolve political disputes, except in war. And the exception there is because our survival can become at stake when people decide some foreign nation or foreign entity decides like the terrorists, Islamic terrorists decided, or some country decides that they want to subjugate us or they want to take away our liberty or they want to take away our land or something like that. And then we are forced to use violence to defend ourselves. And that is, a perp that is perfectly appropriate. I'm talking about where we have political disputes in our country and we go out and try to kill people over it. No, you don't do that. Americans shouldn't do that. And we as Christians certainly shouldn't do that. Goes without saying, but in a climate where the left misinterprets everything that a conservative says and twists it and turns it and tries to make, I always add those provisos so that they're never in a position to lie, which they do repeatedly and say, oh, this preacher, he got on and said that people ought to kill them. See, they ought to, somebody ought to go kill Stacey Abrams. Because they'd be, they'd be lying through their teeth. You know what I want for Stacey Abrams? I want her to get saved. I wanted to get redeemed. I wanted to come out of that, that evil and that darkness, that George Soros aura, that demonic union that she's in and serve the Lord and go to heaven because right now she's hell bound. So she comes, she comes out and says, she didn't, she just doesn't, it didn't evolve into a, a position of being pro-abortion. She's converted. She's passionate about abortion. Just as full of a devil as she could be. And you know what? Let me tell you something, Georgians, you black Georgians, you black Christians in Georgia, hear me well. And we're going to be doing some advertising in Georgia here shortly. But you black Christians in Georgia, you hear me and you hear me well. You Christians now. And I'm not talking about these apostates like Raphael Warnick. Raphael Warnick is not a Christian. Raphael Warnick is an apostate. He's a heretic. He's a liar. He's a pretender. And you folks let him go into the pulpit. You might as well invite the devil into the pulpit. Pro-choice pastor, pro-homosexuality pastor. In other words, somebody who rejects the truth of the word of God and yet claims to be a preacher. Well, he's not certainly not representing Jesus Christ. He even denigrated the resurrection. So the, the important thing about the resurrection is our good works. No, the important thing about the resurrection is the resurrection of Jesus Christ. That's what's important about it. Because if Christ be not raised and our faith is in vain and we are of all men most miserable, that's what's important about it. Not my good works. We've got to stop giving more loyalty to people based on the color of their skin than to Jesus Christ and the, and the, and the, the shed blood in behalf of our sin. Cause that's exactly what's happened. You've got black folks who claim to be Christians who have stabbed Jesus Christ in the back in order to be faithful to some notion of ethnic or racial solidarity. So you vote for a devil like Stacey Abrams and put that woman in office so she can support the killing of more babies and support homosexuality and support every abomination known to God, uh, every abomination God has told us to stay away from. And you'll support her because she looks like me. 
That is one of the dumbest, most pernicious ideas I've ever heard in my life. Stacey Abrams needs to be retired from political life because she is a, she is a political monster. Jim Crow 2.0, like requiring an ID is somehow an insult to black folks because we're too stupid to be able to get an ID and too poor to be able to get an ID and having an ID. Oh, 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 we black people, we're, we're too dumb. We, we just want to be able to go in and say, I'm so-and-so. Don't ask me for any proof of who I am. I've used a voter ID every time I voted since, since the time I can remember starting to vote. And I never once thought that somehow I was being discriminated against. I'm black. I shouldn't have to show an ID because black people are too stupid to get an ID. You need an ID to do everything. It's a Jim Crow 2.0. Jim Crow was like? Does she remember? Does she know anything about it? So she's pro-abortion. She's pro-homosexuality. She's a liar and a racial demagogue. And all she'll do is destroy Georgia. She helped to drive the, the, the all-star uh, uh, Major League Baseball game out of Georgia. And then realizing what she had done, she tried to backpedal, but it was too late. She helped drive $100 million that those business people in Georgia, many of them black, would have benefited from. She drove it out with this Jim Crow 2.0 nonsense. I guarantee you watch. Now, the question is how they're going to vote, but you watch. There won't be any diminution in the number of black voters that turn out in the polls. Um, certainly the next presidential election. It's always lower for everybody in off-year elections. So it'll probably be down from the presidential election, but you watch. There'll be plenty of them voting. There'll be no diminution because the, the polls show that most black people believe that voter IDs are perfectly appropriate. It's only these elitist demagogues who try to make this an issue and they don't realize at the same time they're insulting black people by turning us into a bunch of idiots who can't do what normal people do in, in, in the modern world. You can't fly without an ID. You can't rent a hotel car without an ID. You can't rent a, a hotel car. You can't rent a hotel room without an ID. You can't rent a, rent a car without an ID. You, you, you can't. If I go pick up tickets to a baseball game, I got to show my ID to pick up the tickets. I mean, this is ridiculous. She's got to go. She's got to go. Retire her from politics. Let her go do whatever she and George Soros with his sick self, whatever they do together. Let her go do that. But, but leave, leave the people of Georgia alone and leave the people of America alone. You know, Rosanna Arquette has said that millions of women are going to leave America over this uh, overturning of Roe v. Wade. Well, first of all, that's a lie. Millions of women are not going to leave America. Where are they going to go? Number one. But number two, they fail to realize that millions of women in America believe that life is sacred and don't want to kill their unborn babies. So she wants to act like all women want to engage in child sacrifice and kill unborn babies. And it's just not true. Most women do not. 
And by the way, speaking of Stacey Abrams talking about, I'm converted to, I'm converted to being pro-abortion. Yeah, use the language, I didn't evolve to this view. I'm, I'm a convert. Like it's a, it's a, like, like I was converted to my faith in Jesus Christ. It was the most powerful experience of my life. The most powerful experience of my life. Nothing else compares to it. Nothing compares to it. Because it changed me from the inside out. And it set me on an entirely different trajectory forever, forever. And she's going to say she was converted to, uh, to being pro-abortion. Converted. Like she had a passionate experience that changed her from the inside out. Now I am passionate about killing unborn babies. I mean, it's sick. It's sick, folks. And we can't let race blind us from evil. The fact that Stacey Abrams is a black woman doesn't make her any less evil. She's evil. And Raphael Warnock is evil. The fact that he's a black man doesn't make him any less evil. And these people pushing all this perversion and, 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 and infanticide and pushing all this stuff. These people are evil. And we're supposed to be blinded to that because of the color of their skin. I'll tell you what, when they stand before God, they're going to find out. There's no affirmative action heaven. And you're not going to get a pass because you're so, you're so-called oppressed and you're a victim. You won't be able to plead systemic racism. If you're not pleading the blood of Jesus Christ, you've got nothing to plead. And even pleading that won't help you if you don't really know him. Because I can, Jesus said, many will stand before me and say, Lord, Lord. I mean, can you imagine that? Stacey Abrams and Raphael Warnock will stand before God and say, Lord, Lord, did we not abort many babies in your name? Did we not engage in all kinds of racial demagoguery for racial justice in your name? And Jesus said, I will say to them, depart from me. I never knew you. All right. We need to be prayerful and we need to be circumspect because these people are losing their minds. They're losing their minds. When Obergefell was decided making homosexual, overturning, 20, I think it was 29 or 30 states that had passed constitutional amendments banning same-sex unions and defining marriage as a, only a union between one man and one woman, I didn't think to myself, well, it's the end of the world. I'm going to go out and hurt somebody. There's going to be riots in the streets and we're going to... I didn't think any of that. I thought, man, how, how far off the Supreme Court is at this time and how wrong our country is and how far gone our country is and that needs to double down in prayer and double down in standing up for the truth and double down in persuading people to get active, to get involved. We're going to fight this thing. We're going to reverse this thing. We're going to change this thing. Those were my kind of thoughts, not who, can, who should we hurt? Who can we kill? I wasn't cursing anybody out and threatening like that Yale uh, law student. 
threatening an ADF, uh, Alliance Defending Freedom, lawyer who came to debate free speech, up in our face talking about, B, I will literally fight you. In other words, threatening physical violence. None of those thoughts ever crossed my mind. Because one thing, I know I've got to answer to God for, for who I am. Number two, the love of God has been shed abroad in my heart through the Holy Spirit, and I love people, even the people I don't agree with. And number three, I know that that's not going to help the country I love. It is only going to make things worse. But see, the left doesn't love our country anyway. They don't care. They don't care about what makes it worse. They want it to get worse, hoping it'll collapse. And they can, from the rubble, rebuild their, build up their little socialist paradise and have authority themselves. See, I keep saying no violence against people we don't agree with. We love them. We pray for them. But you know what they would say? Somebody like E.W. Jackson, get rid of him. So well, how can you say such a thing? Because it's what happens every time in history leftists take over. They kill their enemies. It happens every single time. We, there wouldn't be any exception here. You kidding me? Because the problem is not the country. The problem is the human heart. That's the problem. And the word of God says the heart is deceitfully wicked above everything. Who can know it? All right. Wow. Let's see if I can finish up chapter one of the time I've got of Second uh, Thessalonians. And we're going to pick up at verse 11 and just, just got uh, two more verses to do. It says, therefore, we also pray always for you that our God would count you worthy of this calling. Oh, my brothers and sisters in Christ. This should be our desire. To be counted worthy of the calling of God on our lives. That's what I want. That's what I want. You know, I've always said my chief ambition in life is not to be rich. I believe God wants us to prosper. I don't think he wants us to have nice things. I think he wants us to not be uh, uh, bound up in poverty. But that's not my chief ambition. My chief ambition is not to be famous. I believe God does expand our influence and allows us to influence more people as we serve him and as we seek to be used by him in whatever capacity he, he calls us. And I, God, I believe God has called me to this, this capacity. But my, my ambition in life is not to be famous. It really isn't. My chief ambition in life is this, to be worthy of this calling. My chief ambition in life is to please him. One of my chief prayers is, oh God, be real in my life. Be real in my life. Every moment, every hour, every day, oh God, be real to me. I don't want to turn this into some kind of empty, religious, ritualistic, obligatory uh, 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 gesture. I want the reality of a living relationship with the true and the living God. 
and I want my life to reflect the reality of that relationship. And my prayer for you, I join in with the Apostle Paul and the Word of God, praying for you that God would count you worthy of his calling on your life. That's what it's about. It says, and fulfill all the good pleasure of his goodness and the work of faith with power. Look, that's, and that, that's, that's my ambition. I said to be, to please him, to fulfill all the good pleasure of his goodness. In other words, Lord, I want my life to bring you pleasure. I want my life to reflect your goodness. That's my prayer for you. That your life would bring, bring pleasure to God. That your life would reflect his goodness. This is the ultimate meaning of life, folks. When we stand before God, nobody's going to stand before God. Bill Gates, are you hearing me? Jeff Bezos, are you hearing me? Mark Zuckerberg, are you hearing me? Elon Musk, are you hearing me? Who am I leaving out? You're not going to stand before God and say, ooh, look how much money I've got in the bank. I'm worth $100 billion. Lord, aren't you impressed? Look at the industry I built. Look at the number of people I employed. Aren't you impressed? None of that will be worth assault worth less than zero because all a person in that position has to plead is their own righteousness and the word says all our righteousness is as filthy rags before him but to stand before him and say oh God not me but Christ in me the hope of glory to plead the grace of God, the blood of Jesus Christ for my sins, shed for my sins. That's, that's what you want. And, and, and then for him to be able to say, well done, good and faithful servant. You've been faithful over a few things. I'll make you ruler over many. Enter into the joy of the Lord. To be able to say, Lord, I fought the good fight. I've finished my course. I've kept the faith. And now there's laid up for me a crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, shall give me in that day, but not to me only, but to all who love his appearing. That's the true meaning of life, my brothers and sisters. That's what this life is all about. People often say to me, oh, by the way, and it says, and the work of faith with power. See, my power doesn't come from this television program, this live stream program. My power doesn't come from the color of my skin. My power does not come from the money I have in the bank. My power doesn't come from who I know. My power is the work of faith. My power is the Lord Jesus Christ. See, says the work of faith. Look, the Bible says, Whatsoever is not of faith is sin. I say, you know, you, you want to, you want to, the Bible says, uh, pride goes before destruction and a haughty spirit before the fall. 
But if you want to, you want to fall hard, start believing it's all about you. Yeah, that's, I, that's the quick, easy formula. Start believing it's all about you. What you have, what you can do, who you know, what you've got, what you've done, and all that you are. Yeah, okay. <laughs> you are headed for a big, hard crash. Because it's not about us. It's the work of faith with power. You have heard me say this, what I have, he gave me. What I am, he made me. What I know, he taught me. And where I am, he brought me. To God be the glory for the things that he has done. See, this is the victory that overcomes the world. Not my ability, my talent, my eloquence, my this, my that, not my degrees. No, this is the victory that overcomes the world. Our faith. Our faith. And it's our faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. And look, the work of faith with power, as always, that word power is the Greek word dunamis. Our word dynamite comes from it. Dynamic comes from it. It's the work of faith with faith with the dynamic, explosive power of Almighty God. Wow, I'm losing focus there, folks. Are you all seeing that as well? The devil is a liar, I tell you. Uh, you see, see what the, see what the devil does. I, I hear I, I'm on a spiritual roll, and and here I've got focus issues here, um, and I don't know quite why that is. Uh, but at any rate, let me finish up this chapter and we'll figure out what's going on because notice that I've got clarity around me, but, but I've got my, my, my visage as some, for some reason. Oh, there we go. It's back. Wow. Praise the Lord <laughs> in the name of Jesus. And here we go. Twelfth verse that the name of, the, of our Lord Jesus Christ may be glorified in you and you in him. You know, we have prayer in my church. We have a prayer conference call every morning, every morning without fail, every morning, seven days a week, every morning. Now, we have certain people who are very faithful and others who don't bother, but nevertheless, <laughs> we have prayer. A group of us gets together and prays together every morning. And I always end that prayer this way. Lord, help us to live this way, this day, in a way that brings glory to your holy and righteous name. That the name of our Lord Jesus Christ may be glorified in you. You ought to seek to live every day in a way that brings glory to the name of Jesus Christ. Christ may be glorified in you and you in him. See, we glorify God. God wants to glorify us. The Bible says, those whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his son. And those whom he predestined, he also justified. And those whom he, those whom he predestined, he also called. Those whom he called, he also justified. 
And those whom he justified, he also what? Glorified. Romans chapter 8. What shall we then say to these things? If God be for us, who can be against us? God wants to glorify you. We glorify him. We don't glorify ourselves. We don't exalt ourselves. Oh, look at me. Look how great I am. Oh, I'm the... No, no, no. We glorify the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. He does the glorifying of us. It says, according to the grace of our God and the Lord Jesus Christ. See, here again. And it's not according to earning. It's according to grace. And folks, I'm going to end here, but I, I, I want to say this and leave you with this. The same grace that got you saved is the grace that gets you everything else. The moment you think you've got to work for the favor of God and you've got to work for the blessings of God and you've got to work to get God to be pleased with you, you've got to do this and do that, is the moment you lose the very essence of what it means to be saved. We do those things. I don't work to try to get God's favor. I work because I love him and I want to please him. I don't um, believe God for healing based upon the Lord. I've been good the last 20 days and I really believe I've earned this healing. No, I believe in healing by the same grace that got me saved. And for God to prosper us and to take care of us and to bless us, to work mightily in us to bring us into a place of financial stability and and debt freedom and all of that oh look lord look how good i am you got to do this for me because i'm so good you don't get saved like that you can't and you don't get blessed like that either it's by grace by grace see because we in and of ourselves can never do well enough to earn the favor and the blessing of god and so that should not be the basis for what we do for God. The basis for what we do for God ought to be love. Love. Because we love him. Because if earning anything from God would have been the key, then we would have had to earn our salvation. But God knew that it, on that basis, we were never going to get it. Because we could never meet his standard. But Jesus Christ did and made it possible for us to experience the grace that comes only through him. I have an acronym for grace. I've heard different people use different things, but here's my acronym for grace. God's rewards according to Christ's exploits. God's rewards according to Christ's exploits. In other words, Jesus did the work. You get the benefit. He, he did the exploits. You get the loot. <laughs> you get the booty. You, you get the reward. You, you, he did the conquering. You then occupy. It's by grace. It's by grace. See, that's why, again, people say, how can you be so optimistic about this country? How can you be so optimistic? And, 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 and folks, 
I have been saying this. I had somebody call and say, uh, call on my radio program yesterday and say, you know, you've been, you've been predicting this. You've been saying, you've been telling us this. Hold on. You say, well, how can you be that sure? By grace. The Bible says, ask and it shall be given. Didn't say, well, if you ask and you're rich enough and you're famous enough and you're powerful enough and you're good enough and you're great enough and all that, well, maybe God will pay some attention. No, it says ask and it shall be given. And when I ask out of the sincerity of my heart, oh God, have mercy on my country. Oh God, do not reward us according to our sins, but give us an awakening that would cause us to turn away from sin and repent. I believe God hears and answers my prayers. It's not just mine. It's the prayers of his people all over this nation. In order for God to ignore those prayers, he'd have to be a liar. And he's not. He's not a man that he should lie, nor a son of man that he should repent. Let every man be a liar. God is true. It's grace. It's faith in him. I don't believe our country has earned the favor of Almighty God. I don't think we ever did. I think God showed us grace because there have been people in this country from the very beginning who cried out to him in our, our, our weakness, in our anguish, in our despair, in our failures. We've still been willing to say, but by your grace, oh God, have mercy. And I believe God has said, I will and I do. Remember the leper that went to Jesus and said, Lord, if you are willing, you can make me clean. Jesus gave him a two word answer and touched him. I will. I will. I'm convinced that God's plan for us is good, that what God wants for us is good. God's not sitting on the throne looking, waiting for the opportunity to judge us and crush us. He's sitting on the throne with Jesus Christ sitting beside him as our intercessor. Saying, Father, how, how do we pour out our grace and mercy upon them? And I believe the answer always comes through your blood, son, and through the many who've given their lives to you. So I'm full of optimism and I'm full of joy. And, and in spite of the crazy reaction we're seeing to God beginning to correct things in our country, I think the, the, the election in Virginia was an opening salvo. Here's another indication of how God is moving in our country, overturning Roe v. Wade, which has long been an abomination in the land. And there are going to be other things that we're going to see happen as, as this whole scenario. I told you an awakening is coming. I know an awakening is coming. And there are going to be other things that unfold as, 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 as time goes on. And we're going to see God moving in the midst. It's our job just to be steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that our labor is not in vain in the Lord. Praise God. Well, that's going to do it for today. God bless each and every one of you. I love you. Pray for us. Come to our awards dinner if you can. Email us at awardsdinner at standamerica.us. 
to get those tickets. It's going to be a wonderful occasion. You're really going to enjoy yourself. But in the meantime, whether you can come or whether you can't, pray for us. We need your prayers. We solicit your prayers. Support us. Sign up as a Patriot partner. A little as $5 a month. Whatever you can give to help us keep the work that we're doing going. Because I really believe it's a work of God. It's something that God called me to do back in 2009. Gave me the name Stan, staying true to America's national destiny. That God had a destiny for America when he put it in the hearts of our founding fathers to break away from Great Britain and to create an independent nation. And it's up to us to carry on that legacy and fulfill the destiny that God had in mind for this great country. A city shining on a hill. A burning lamp that can't be put out. A lamp of hope and freedom and opportunity and faith and family. God bless you. Stay in the fight. Stand up, step up, speak up, and refuse to back up because we cannot be defeated if we will not quit because we are on God's side.